One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And good morning, it's John Paul McNamara in for Patricia right through until one. Patricia does return uh, from her holidays on Monday, but with you right through until one this afternoon. Our lines are open. Bernie takes your calls, 1850-333-103, or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can tweet at C103Cork or email this morning, jp at c103.ie. Ahead on this morning's show, we're going to be discussing how soft sentences from the courts is enabling repeat offenders to make a crime and, and to make crime a lifestyle for themselves. We'll be discussing with Sally Hanlon from the Support After Crime Services Organisation and we often hear from people on this particular programme, a lot of callers will say to us when we are discussing a particular situation uh, they'll say, well life should be life, so why are we only giving a number of years for a life sentence it should mean life and those who commit a murder or do something that enables them to get and receive a life sentence, they should remain in prison forever and not be allowed out. And either uh, when it comes from a murder to various sentences, whether it's someone who breaks into a house and injures a person and does, has done this before, is a repeat offender, does receive maybe three or four years in jail or less, uh, that that particular sentence is too lenient and we need to get tougher on our criminals. And that is probably why a lot of people would have texted and indeed called us over the years with this. That is why we have a high crime rate in some parts of this country, because we are too soft when it comes to dealing with crime. In other countries, they're a lot tougher and they even get physical with some of their criminals. Should we follow that particular route? Anyhow, discussing this morning the soft sentences that has been handing down from the courts, especially in a situation where you have people in the courthouse and it's a regular visit for them and they get either get a slap on the wrist or they get jailed for three to six months and then they're back out again and then a few months later they're back in the same courthouse and the same thing happens. That is their way of life. Uh, I suppose this morning uh, speaking of uh, sentences it is in all the particular news headlines this morning and this is the very sad story from 2002. It's featuring in many of the papers. The Irish Sun is carrying a particular article on this with their crime editor Stephen Breen. Also it features tonight on RTE's primetime programme. This is Nicholas Sweeney who was just aged 20 from the Rochestown area of the city and she was knifed to death by Peter Whelan on, in 2002, April 02. Her pal Sinead O'Leary was with her on that particular night. Uh, she's 
lucky to be alive. Uh, she was stabbed herself more than 20 times. Sinead is speaking out tonight on that particular primetime show, uh, which airs on RTE1. But uh, Whelan, the reason this is coming to light is because uh, the family have realised that uh, Peter Whelan has received temporary release just six years into the life sentence he received for Nicola's murder. Uh, more will be uh, across the morning on that. I'm sure Sally will have a view on that as well. But also uh, that show is on primetime tonight and a lot of people will have remembered uh, that particular case. So sad it was for the family. Uh, such uh, a young life taken at the age of 20 with a bright future ahead of her. Anyhow, discussing that shortly on the programme. Uh, fuel, um, a lot of talk about fuel over the last number of days simply because of the carbon tax and other moves being made to deal with the climate change. Well, it seems, and, and this was something we discussed a year or two on the show, uh, a year or two ago on the show, uh, the government were trying to extend the coal, you know, the, the smoky coal ban. They were trying to extend that across the country. Currently, it's in the cities and urban areas or large towns, but now fuel companies are moving more and more producing smokeless fuel but because no plan as yet has been introduced to extend that particular ban nationwide they're asking well what is happening the fuel companies have moved but the state hasn't followed them as yet and what happens here with the smoky coal ban in cities and urban areas you buy smokeless coal and you you would use that instead of smoky coal. A lot of people say there's no difference. Some people feel that there is and that it doesn't burn the same way as smoky coal. That also now, particular ban will come into Cork County and will come into all towns in Cork County. It isn't in all towns as yet, but that is supposed to come in. And the question is, when is it as more fuel companies now are moving to producing smokeless coal? But also, will it be more expensive for us with the carbon tax that will go up? But is smokeless coal more effective for the way of getting giving out heat, etc. And is it more expensive? We'll discuss that later. Your views are welcome on that if you have used a smokeless coal before. And many people will have that living in the urban areas here in Cork. And should Cork be split into three counties when it comes to the allocation of money for Cork County? Now, given the size of the county and some areas are not receiving their fair share of funding, should we split up the county as Cork gets the same funding as smaller counties across the country? So should we look uh, at Cork and say, right, we have uh, three counties here. We have North Cork, we have West Cork and we have East Cork, for example. And maybe within... West Cork, you would include Mid Cork and South Cork. So regions of, let's say, Tracton, uh, Kinsale, which would be considered South Cork, they would be included in West Cork, as McCroom would also be included in West Cork. So no areas being left out. Uh, and for Cork County, this would be the way to go to ensure we get the same share of funding as smaller counties who receive similar funding for us. Uh, but, uh, for example, if you're on about Leitrim or Leitrim, one of those smaller counties who receive similar funding, yet Cork is so large in scale uh, geographically, uh, the funding we get doesn't match the other counties. And then you have outer areas of the county who receive no funding and a lot more could be done if we got our fair share. So discussing that this morning, your views are welcome. Are we right in terms of funding to split up Cork? Split the whole thing up uh, and do a north, west and east scenario. Uh, your views are welcome on that. Our Garda file as well this morning, looking at crimes in the Cork area. And if you have a pet in your household you have a question for our vet Jane well get it into us 
across the morning. You can call Bernie with your pet questions, 1850-333-103, or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Jane will be joining us after 12.30, answering all your pet questions. And later in the show, we're going to be hearing from families devastated due to fatal road traffic collisions. This is a feature we are carrying out across today here on C103 News and on this particular show. And it's part of Project Edward, which aims to have no road deaths today, not only here in Ireland, but right across Europe. So we'll hear uh, from those families who have suffered at the loss of a loved one due to a road traffic collision. Our senior news reporter, Fiona Corcoran, has met some of those families and we'll hear from her later in the show. So that and more to come between now and one. Our lines are open 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Lines open 1850-333-103 and a lot of talk about fuel and what will happen to the cost of fuel following the budget because we all know we are going to be hit with a carbon tax. Well, we heard from those who deliver coal over the last number of days. They reckon that there will be uh, roughly around a €3 increase in the bag of coal and because of that the Department of Finance and Climate Change, uh, they as yet have not carried out a fuel poverty review to determine how an increase in carbon tax would affect low-income households. Uh, That is with just, of course, two weeks to go before the increase is expected anyhow to be announced in the budget. Members of the Oireachtas Climate Action Committee responded angrily uh, to the admission by officials from both departments that they have not yet met each other to discuss this particular issue when there's only two weeks to go. A lot of those charities who work with people who will be finding it tough to uh, receive coal and, and buy coal because of this particular carbon tax hike have come out and basically said something needs to be done before you actually announce this so we know where to go and, and people can get help. Anyhow, we'll watch that over the next uh, week or so, really only have a week or so to see what will be done for those who may be struggling to purchase fuel if that carbon tax does come in the budget, which will increase everything to do with fuel. And we spoke a lot about hedge cutting over the last few weeks and especially this week when we heard that the local property tax is to increase by 5% and people were saying we don't see the value for our money when we pay the property tax, especially our road network and hedges growing all over the place, overgrowing our roads. Well, it seems now if you want to cut the hedges, this is the time. That's the message from Cork County Council who is reminding landowners that they are obliged to ensure that trees, ditches and hedges on their land are not a danger. So for the examples would be uh, dead or dying trees, ditches or hedges interfering with traffic, blocking footpaths, obscuring road signs, public lighting or indeed road users' visibility. It's the responsibility, the council say, of landowners and the work should be carried out while hedges are dormant between the start of September and the end of February. And notices may be served on those who do not comply, uh, says Cork County Council, reminding that its landowners are responsible uh, that the ditches and the hedges aren't overgrowing. But more than that, that they're not a danger uh, to traffic and to those using roadways. And now is the time to do it. But they say they will serve notice to those who don't comply and who leave the hedges overgrown in areas where they know uh, they are a danger. And we hear so much about mobile phone reception being poor in many areas of Cork and people will be hanging out their windows or going into their front or back gardens or walking up a hill to get better reception so they can actually speak to someone on a mobile phone. It seems though... Uh, that rural mobile phone reception, it is being weakened 
but it's been weakened by the rise of illegal roof aerials and signal boosters. Uh, this is a new report that has come from Comrade and it has revealed that there's been a sharp rise in the such uh, of this particular illegal type of equipment. So many times when we get calls and we uh, might get called from a, a certain area, then we get another call from a certain area of the county and then we put in a call to one of the phone operators and say we're getting a few calls saying that your service is poor in this area. They look into it and they say, well, all their transmitters are at full power. They have no problems and they cannot figure out what is causing it. Well, Comrade said this could be one of the reasons. It seems that 60% of the interference in mobile networks in Ireland is caused by people using illegal roof aerials or these particular signal boosters. Now, they disrupt the network and are also threatening emergency services who use these particular radios to communicate. It's a report in the Irish Independent today and it says that there's a greater use of these devices though in rural areas more than urban areas and because in some areas they're very rural they're more difficult to locate. It seems just in the last 12 months there's 283 illegal mobile phone boosters Wi-Fi repeaters, GPS trackers and radar detectors and evening uh, we have signal jammers there as well. Now all these were seized by customs at postal centres within the last 12 months but uh, overall Comrex says it has received seven complaints last year about signal interference with the so-called two-way radio systems for services such as air traffic control, the Gardaí and the fire brigade but in more rural areas it is the uh, it seems to be anyhow mobile phone boosters, Wi-Fi repeaters and these GPS trackers plus signal jammers. Now, I'm not sure why someone would want a particular signal jammer, uh, but if they have one, uh, that is one of the reasons why. Not all the reasons, but it's one of the reasons why in some areas the mobile phone reception can be weak. And when it is weak and the mobile phone company is giving you stats and saying, well, our transmitters are in full power, we cannot figure out what is happening. And they say they're going to send an engineer down and that can take two or three days before the engineer might get to a particular site uh, in an area to check out what is happening. Comreg now saying a lot of this is because of illegal aerials and boosters. And that is the cause of mobile phones and the reception from mobile phones uh, being so weak in some areas. Uh, also, you would have heard there on Barry on the news changes uh, within Angarishi Kona. This is regarding the changes in divisional headquarters and nine Garda divisions are to lose their headquarters. For my uh, one of the biggest ones to lose their particular headquarters now here in the county McCroom will be the new HQ for Cork County and while well, that will happen though it will only become HQ when they build the new Garda station in McCroom whenever that will be but for the time being Bandon will be the headquarters on a temporary basis for Cork County so as for my loses its divisional headquarters name it will be going to Bandon which would have been the divisional headquarters for the Cork West Garda Division but now Bandon will be losing it as well in time because McCroom will be the new HQ for Cork County some people would say that's probably the most correct move because McCroom in the centre in mid-Cork it's kind of equal distance between both north and west anyhow uh, it, it is a huge change when it comes to the policing and indeed the restructuring of uh, the policing model I think it's the, the biggest um, restructuring since the foundation of Angarda Corner. but Anglesey Street in the city centre that will continue to be the city headquarters and indeed the headquarters for the region of Cork but those changes are coming in over the next while and this is something 
Uh, that probably is the worry to those. Uh, I'm not too sure if this is going to affect the, the farming community or not as yet, and we will discuss this later. Maybe Jane might know more about this on uh, when we're discussing our pet advice. Our vet Jane might know uh, more, but this is the contagious virus that kills rabbits and hares within days of infection, and that has been confirmed in six counties in Ireland, and Cork is one of those counties. It's it's called RHD2. That is the particular name of the virus, and the disease has been found in 12 animals, but the actual number of infected rabbits and hares could be far higher as samples in a number of these cases were taken from one animal drawn from a larger group of dead animals. So rabbits and hares with this particular disease, they they died within days and basically they had swollen eyelids um, they had paralysis and some of them were bleeding from their eyes and from their mouth with this particular disease. Now the disease itself, it does cause no threat to human health uh, so it is safe uh, to handle the infected dead rabbits and hares uh, and that is by those people who were checking them out to make sure I wouldn't be going around uh, just picking up the dead rabbits if you see them yourself because uh, de- at the moment they're saying it, it does cause no threat to human health uh, but I'm sure they would say f- for the people that are touching these rabbits they know what they were doing uh, and they they will be coming from the veterinary side of things or indeed the department but yeah it is having an impact on the rabbit and hare population and we'll discuss that later if it will uh, impact in others or kind of spread and cause problems for, for, for other parts of the wildlife here in Cork. But at the moment, anyhow, I know the, the um, coursing and I know people are, are against coursing, but I know coursing has stopped um, because of this particular situation. And the farming groups haven't really come out as yet with this, but I know the Agricultural Minister, Michael Creed, is monitoring this particular outbreak at the moment. And with support from the Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gaeltuck. So we'll keep an eye on that and get back to that across the course of the morning. And those living near coastal areas and coastal regions, you would have seen this in the UK. I think it was in the Cornwall area of the UK where a house basically is on the edge of a cliff and their neighbour's house is gone. The cliff basically just uh, uh, fell apart and it's called coastal erosion. And they're saying here now that communities in Ireland are in the fire line for this because... It's one of the most frightening impacts of climate change and scientists are warning that sea levels could rise by a metre before the end of the century. Some of you will say, well, not going to worry us too much, but the devastating prediction is that it could spell an end to many cities, but especially seaside towns and villages who will feel the effect of this and any houses that are near cliff edges will see the effect, they reckon, over the next few years. They have seen it already, though, in in the UK, uh, but we haven't heard too much here in Ireland about about many houses falling off cliffs yet because of coastal erosion and very finally many of you who are in the Kenturk area in Duhallow this is one to note for you the future of Kenturk Community Hospital it will again come under the spotlight and it will come under the spotlight at a public meeting which is to take place in the Temperance Hall in Kenturk on Tuesday next well not Tuesday next Tuesday the October the 8th so October the 8th Tuesday evening members of the public have been issued with this particular open invitation to attend this meeting during which plans for the future development of the facility will be outlined. So if you have someone within Cantor Community Hospital or indeed you're from the area and want to know what is happening, that public meeting going ahead in the Temperance Hall, Kenturk, on Tuesday, October the 8th. Lines open, 1850-333-103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103.
and you can text us on 0862103103 email jp at c103.ie or indeed you can always tweet us at c103cork just when I was just talking about road conditions and indeed how Project Edward is going ahead today and this basically is to have no road deaths across Europe for this particular day well on the issue of driving John in Donrell said he just drove his van from Hazelwood to the Mallow Road and a van came against him. Now the driver was going too fast for this particular narrow road and he was using his mobile phone. Now John said he had to pull into the side of the road to stop to avoid him. He said he got an awful fright because the van was coming so fast towards him. So he said, I wonder, will this particular project today just be targeting main roads or will it be targeting all the minor roads as well? And on roads, a listener in Duhallo says, I heard your show yesterday. I listened to the repeat of your show last night. I agree with that particular caller about the ditches and the road conditions in Duhallo. They're an absolute disgrace and a disgrace for our local representatives. I feel they're a waste of space. They're not doing much for our area here of Duhallow. I'm a regular road user and I'm a very disappointed taxpayer says this particular listener in Duhallow. And on the issue that we'll be discussing later on this was to do with the splitting up of Cork County and basically splitting us up because we can avail of more funding for more areas in our particular region. Uh, Ginny saying, well, while I was praying for 32 counties before I die, I never thought it would start by splitting up my own lovely county, uh, says Ginny on text to 0862103103. Now, we were due to speak uh, to Sally Hanlon from the Support After Crime Services organisation, uh, not available to us at the moment due to phone problems so we will get back to Sally across the course of the morning uh, but I did mention there about Project Edward and this is which the Gardaí Kona and their colleagues across Europe are hoping anyhow for no road deaths on this particular day and it's to coincide we are doing a feature across our news bulletins and indeed on this show to coincide with this particular day and we are featuring uh, the road the impact that road fatalities can have on family members and there has been 11 fatal collisions leading to 11 fatalities in Cork this year the same number of fatal collisions were recorded year to date in Cork last year and there has been 645 drink driving arrests in Cork so far this year this compares to 695 for the same period last year well our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran spoke to some of those who have been affected by the deaths of loved ones due to a fatal road traffic collision we'll hear from Fiona and indeed from those later in the show but on the way next uh, have you used coal smoky coal um, have you used smokeless coal do you feel there's a difference between the normal coal as some people would call it or smokeless coal or is there no difference at all because it seems now there isn't a plan to ban smoky coal across Cork County but it hasn't happened yet and because the ban was supposed to happen all the fuel companies are moving to smokeless but are they just wasting their time? The state hasn't moved on this. Discussing that next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 As the EPA launched their report on air quality, which shows cause for concern for the air we breathe in this country, many fuel suppliers were asking what is going on with smokeless coal ban for the entire country. Well, one of those is CPL Fuels and Niall McGuinness of CPL Fuels joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Niall. 
Morning. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, and thanks for joining us. First of all, we spoke about this last year as many cities and large towns had this particular ban in place and this basically would see all areas having to use smokeless fuel. But as yet, there's been no move on this. No, uh, disappointingly, uh, our present minister has uh, stalled uh, on the plan which would have had Ireland designated a low smoke zone from September of this year. Uh, and as well as, you know, announcing that he wasn't going ahead with the ban, he also failed to give us a timeline as to when it was going to happen. And we as an industry are still waiting for some clarity on that. Because with all the talk of climate change and carbon tax, many thought, well, this is going to happen because it does fit in with what every country is trying to do when it comes to climate change. But a commitment, even though it was made, the fuel companies like yourselves, many are moving to producing smokeless coal. And while you're going more down that route, it seems you have moved, but the state has not. Yes, listen, I think the reality at the end of the day is that, you know, companies like CPF fuels understand that, you know, it's not any longer acceptable to be, you know, offering people, you know, fuel that are, are not is not good for their health. And, and we understand our commitment to producing clean, environmentally fuels. Um, and, and the market will ultimately have to go in that direction. But it's very disappointing that, you know, the industry are now actually ahead of of the lawmakers in the land and uh, we've made the step and we're just waiting for the state to catch up. And I mentioned the EPA report there, the latest one on air quality. Again, many concerns for urban areas, especially those people who are living near main roadways. So this really would have made a reduction in the pollution of our air across the particular all all of Ireland, especially those more more or less living near main roads. With regards to smokeless fuel, there's always the argument here from our listeners to say that some feel there's no difference and some feel there's a major difference between smoky coal and smokeless coal. Uh, the last time we discussed this, we had texting from people who felt that smoky coal gave a better, uh, it lasted longer, it gave more heat. Is that a myth? Or, and what is the difference, if any difference? Oh, yeah, it is a myth, yes. Uh, low smoke, solid fuel uh, lasts longer, uh, produces more heat over a sustained period. It burns differently than, than smoky coal and people have to, you know, get used to it. It doesn't burn the same, it doesn't light as quickly, but it produces, it produces more heat. And that's not just, you know, a low smoke producer saying it. It's stated fact, the SEAI would say that, you know, uh, and I've told government that smokeless fuels or low smoke fuels are actually more cost effective for the end user to use uh, from a heat generation perspective. And does it cost more to produce and is it costing more for people to purchase? Well, it definitely costs us more to produce, I suppose. Listen, the reality is we've invested 20 million in probably the cleanest uh, manufacturing facility from an environmental point perspective uh, in Ireland to make that. So, you know, there's huge investments made by, by companies like ourselves uh, to make, you know, this this quantity of fuel uh, and this quality of fuel. And I think the, the important thing here that should be uh, remembered, in the past, many, many years ago, uh, it must be 15 years ago, we had what was then called the Blue Book, uh, and at that stage, and it was it was about a national ban on smoky coal. The big reason at that time that it didn't go ahead was because the industry at the stage was saying, "Listen, there isn't a replacement for smoky coal. There just simply wasn't the infrastructure. There wasn't companies like us making the quantity of fuel that we could, and we couldn't just replace smoky coal." The reality is, right now, minister could have announced this, could have had it enacted in the first of September, and there is enough capacity probably too much capacity in the, in the market, we would have been able to supply all the low smoke fuels that were required. 
And the low smoke zones there here in Cork, for example, we only have the Cork City and suburbs area. Uh, within that, we have Tower, Blarney, Ballincollig, Passage West, and Carrigaline. So that only leaves a, a small area of the county because you towns, for example, like Mallow or McCroom or Bandon or Newmarket, they still can burn smoky coal. Uh, the low smoke zones don't apply to those particular areas. The nearest you could say to North Cork would be uh, Limerick City, and uh, it would be the nearest there, or Tralee and County Kerry. But the majority of Cork County towns can buy their smoky coal and burn it away. There's no law affecting those areas as yet. That's correct. That's correct. That's the reality of the situation. Uh, you have a situation in, uh, in, you can take it in Wexford Town or in County Wexford, you have Wexford Town that's smokeless and within, you know, 25 minutes from it you have people in Enniscourt and people in New Ross uh, that are, you know, the effects of, of, of burning uh, smoky coal in those two towns are well documented. And I think, you know, people should be asking or are asking themselves, you know, why is there a situation where somebody in Cork City is entitled to have clean air and somebody in another part of the same county isn't? But, sorry, I should I should add, my understanding is that, uh, and fair use to them, uh, the county councillors in Cork are going to vote uh, in, in some stage during this month uh, for the county to be voted or to be designated a low-smoke zone themselves. I don't know if that will ultimately be enacted, but I think it shows that the will of the people on the ground uh, is that, you know, the minister will come ahead and, and do this. Yeah, and I was going to mention that that is something that is going to be, impl- well, they, they're going to vote anyhow, I presume, in the county hall about that. If that does come into play then, and if someone does prohibit or, or, or does use smoky coal in the low smoke zones, they can be then fined, can't they? I mean, if someone, if, if you're burning uh, smoky coal in an area that's a low smoke zone, um, you can actually get a fine from the local authority. Oh, absolutely, you can. Yes, absolutely. And I think what we have now is we have a situation where County Wexford and County Wicklow or County Meath and County Wexford have both voted themselves to be designated low smoke zones. And I think that over the course of the of the of the coming months you'll find more and more counties going there. Just to increase the pressure, I think, from, from the ground up on the minister to go ahead and do what's an obvious, very obvious thing that should have been done by now. Okay, well, we'll have to wait and see. Well, I mean, are you disappointed the fact that you've put so much money into your particular plant there? You're on fines, aren't you, near Limerick? Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, so You've invested, along with other companies, and even though we were told that this year every part of the country was going to be smokeless because of, of what we discussed over the last few days to do with climate change, it hasn't happened. I mean, have you approached any of the Minister's Department about this uh, on, on the money that you really have invested and, and could have saved and invested at a later stage? Yes, listen, we've, it's, it's, it's well documented the position that we've done. We've mm. invested £20 million based on commitments given uh, by other uh, ministers of, of environment in advance of uh, Mr. Bruton taking up his position. Uh, yeah, we invested in that. Uh, we are where we are. You know, it, it will happen. Uh, we would just call on the minister to, you know, take the, take the challenge uh, that is in front of him and, and face it down for the good of the people and the good of the health of the nation. And you mentioned there a while ago on how smokeless coal can be slower to, to start burning. One texter here is saying she feels that it leaves a further mess behind than smoky coal. Would you agree with her or disagree with her on that? No, uh, you know, uh, it depends, of course, what the lady is burning. So, you know, you can mm. get different qualities of uh, of smokeless fuel, uh, but you can also get different qualities of coal. So I'd have to have a little bit more detail to, than that. Uh, our our uh, evidence from our own labs is that, you know, the products we produce have an ash that is below that standard ash that would be produced from what you'd call your grade one coal. 
and have Sanders Im- improved over the last number of years? I think the, the reality of it is is that smokeless fuels can, you know, when you're manufacturing something like that, you can manufacture a product to suit the end consumer. So, you know, in the old days, smokeless fuel was very, very hard to light. It's not now very hard to light. It lasts longer. Uh, you can you can do everything that you want to do with it in relation to ash. You can keep the ash at a level. You can reduce the ash to a level that's you know convenient to the to the end consumer. So yeah, the, the quality of the products have improved uh, and will continue to improve. Okay, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens if they decide or when they decide to introduce that particular smoke ban right across other areas of the county and indeed across the country. Uh, We mentioned there briefly at the start of the show about the carbon tax hike and coal retailers here in Cork. They feel that on average we could see if this carbon tax comes into the budget on average a €3 increase in the bag of coal. Uh, Would you think that would be it? I mean, for example, on a bag of smokeless coal, how much more do you think it can increase by in the budget? Well, I think what we're being told is we're listening to somewhere in the region of uh, six euros per tonne of carbon. So if you're talking about six euros per tonne of carbon, you're you're talking about 50 or 60 cent a bag being added on to uh, the price of a bag of coal uh, and a bale of forgets. So that's, you know, that's that's a decision for obviously for the minister. But as an industry, what we'd like to call the minister to do is we would make sure that there'd be proper uh, enforcement uh, of uh, of the carbon tax uh, because legitimate solid fuel trade in, in in south of Ireland is effectively being you know wiped out by you know uh, fuel that is being effectively smuggled in carbon tax free. We estimate that plus twenty percent of the fuel sold in the state last last year was coming in uh, without carbon being paid on it. And of course, if you're not paying carbon, you're not paying VAT either. Yeah. So whilst we understand that there is a whole issue. In relation to, uh, whilst we understand there's a whole issue in, in, in relation to the green agenda, uh, I think you know if we have the force and the determination to introduce carbon tax, we should also have the force and determination to make sure that it's enforced and the legitimate trade are not effectively cast aside, which I think we generally feel we are at the moment. And on average, for, for, for a smokeless bag of coal, how, how much would you pay for that roughly in, at the moment? I mean, is it dearer than an average bag of smoky coal? Oh no, 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 no. I think you know when when you're producing smokeless fuel, you're producing grade one fuel. So you know that's what you're producing. So you'd be comparing grade one um, smokeless fuel to grade one coal. So you're talking about in the region of between nineteen and twenty euros, uh, nineteen and twenty euros per bag. But you know, again, I think you know, I think it needs to be it needs to be added here. You know, the reality at the end of the day, uh, and and we as a society need to need to be aware of this. You know, if you have the money. Uh, uh, you can go online and you can buy a pallet of coal uh, from from you know outside of the state, and you know where does the carbon tax be paid on that? You know it's those in our society who cannot afford it who are buying a bag of coal every week to heat their home, and it's those that are paying the carbon tax. And I think that we have to take that and we have to acknowledge that. I you know what I see is the middle the, the middle of the road being the one that's ultimately paying for these things. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens and if they do extend this right across the country. For the moment, uh, Niall, I appreciate you taking time out to join us this morning. That is Niall McGuinness of CPL Fuels on that issue of the coal ban and the low smoke zones, which we have here in the Cork area, basically only though in Cork City and suburbs in Tower, Blarney, Ballincollig, Passage West and Carrigaline. That is due to be enforced, well, it was due to be extended right across the county and indeed across the country. It hasn't done so yet. And even though fuel producers like Nile have moved away from producing smoking 
coal to smokeless fuel, uh, they still uh, don't have this ban implemented. And with all the investment made by fuel uh, companies, they're now asking, what is the holdup? Your views are welcome on coal. I mean, will it, would it worry you? Do you think it's a good thing, the fact that uh, for climate change and all the talk about that over the last while that we're going in the, in the right direction? Or do you feel that it's going too much and you'd rather stick with your smoky coal because that is what you're getting at the moment in the majority of the county areas anyhow? Uh, but that will change if this particular law comes into place. Your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Our lines are open. Bernie takes your comments this morning. 1850-333-103. Or indeed, you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. You can email this morning jp at c103.ie. Or indeed, you can tweet at c103 Cork. We mentioned roads there earlier and how now, if you want to cut the hedges, the councillor appealing to landowners to cut the hedges now. They're also saying uh, those who don't uh, may face fear of a fine. But if you want to cut the hedges, you're being encouraged to do so now uh, rather than later. And of course, you know, the season is there between, isn't it, uh, September to February, you can carry out the particular hedgerows cutting because the hedgerows are dormant in that particular time. Anyhow, we spoke about uh, that earlier and a lot of people, a lot of texters from different areas were on to us, especially Do Hollow, who felt that the road network in Do Hollow, the hedges were overgrown nearly on every road and they were very disappointed at that. Uh, considering so much talk about road safety they feel not much happening in the Duhallow area well uh, apart from that Tim is in Liam Laura and he said on his road there are three farmers who always cut back the hedgerows every year they do a great job also there is an old folks home a school and a church all in that particular area and the speed limit is 50 so cutting back the hedgerows does make it safer for those road users but with the speed limit at 50 he says people on that particular road are doing 100 K. There is no sense to it whatsoever and it's very dangerous with all those amenities nearby, especially on a, a narrow road, which is 50k for a reason, but people are speeding through doing 100k says Tim. While on the issue of smokeless coal we spoke about earlier Sheila is in North Cork and she says, she feels even though uh, Niall McGuinness, who we spoke to from CPL Fuels he says it isn't the case but Sheila feels you do not get the same heat from smokeless coal uh, there are different grades and she buys the dearest one and he did explain the various grades there he did admit that at the very very start when smokeless fuel came out he might not have got the same heat but they've improved a lot over the last number of years and yes like everything there is different grades if you do buy the grade 1 uh, or the grade A which is probably the, the, the dearest grade well you will get the best uh, from the particular coal the best heat it's probably cleaner and that type of thing the further grades the lower you go uh, the different uh, the lower the heat maybe from the uh, fire will be uh, but then you're paying less of a price so that's what is to expect is what they were saying but there is different grades and grade A or grade 1 is the top and they go down from that uh, but according to CPL yeah, at the very, very start when smokeless coal came out, it wasn't fantastic, but they feel uh, that over time it has got it's got better, uh, manufacturing has improved, and now you do get the same heat as you would uh, from smoky coal. And Chris in North Cork says, so if we use smokeless coal, do we not need to get our chimneys cleaned anymore? Well, on that, you would still need to get your chimneys cleaned, basically because you probably not as much or not as regular, uh, and maybe not as a, a thorough cleaning, but uh, smokeless fuel, it does still 
still produced a type of soot. It's often yellow or grey powder looking kind of soot compared to the black soot uh, from smoky coal. But you would still need uh, to get your chimney cleaned. But maybe not as much as you would have with smoky coal and not as regular, but still you would need to get the chimney cleaned, uh, Chris, there in North Cork. Uh, we have got a number of calls coming in to us from people in the Ballydesmond area regarding water. Uh, a lot of calls coming in. There's no water in Ballydesmond this morning. There are outlying reasons why it is happening and we'll have to double check on those particular reasons why we are in contact with Irish Water. Uh, for the moment, all we have back from Irish Water is that reservoir works and works at a pump station are affecting supply to Ballydesmond and the surrounding areas. Crews are in the area and are hoping to restore the supply as soon as possible. Uh, locals are telling us there is another reason for this and we were we are back onto Irish Water double-checking that and once we, we get more information on that, we'll bring that to you. Uh, but we are working on that particular issue uh, from the a number of calls we're getting from the Ballydesmond area regarding water. Uh, no water in Ballydesmond and it is affecting uh, the, the area obviously enough and services in the area because of the lack of water. Uh, Irish Water are telling us they're working on that problem in Ballydesmond. We'll let you know uh, the latest on that. We are in contact with Irish Water regarding that situation in Ballydesmond on climate change then. And this is where... We've heard about smokeless coal this morning, smokeless fuel, even though you would have thought with all the talk of climate change, they would have implemented this ban on smoky coal across the country. It hasn't happened yet, but we're hearing all about the what may anyhow be in the budget when it comes to smokeless, uh, when it comes to climate change uh, full stop and indeed carbon tax and all of those extra taxes that, that we're supposed to be getting uh, when it comes to dealing with climate change. But a texter here making a very good point and says on the issue of climate change, is this just another way for the government to collect tax. Where are all these advisors that advised us all to go and buy diesel vehicles? And then, where are all the advisors that closed our hospitals and put us all on the road so you could drive to another hospital in your county? For example, some services in Mallow and Bantry now have to drive to CUH or the Mercy so we're on the road driving to these particular locations. Then imagine you were stuck in traffic, in the pollution that we are causing while in traffic. Thousands of vehicles every day stuck in traffic jams ticking over for hours. And it's all because they have forced everything into one particular area and we all have to drive to that area. So when you're thinking about climate change, where are all these particular people who have put us on the road more and more over the last number of years. I feel it's just a way for them to collect more tax when they speak of climate change. And it's a good point with all the talk of climate change by our governments uh, past and present. Uh, the decisions they have made for many of us is that we all now have to travel further to get our services. Uh, hospital is a very good point there. And while there is great services in county hospitals, some certain scans, unfortunately, you do have to go and avail of in the city hospitals in CUH in the Mercy. And that is putting us on the road. Uh, another texter here tying in with that uh, and making a very good point on train services saying, and this is Jer, 
uh, in Mallow saying while I use the train on a daily basis uh, in and out for work in Cork City my colleagues are not so lucky some of them live in areas where there is no train service and the train service was taken away a number of years ago maybe 30 or 40 years ago but where was the forward thinking they are now preaching to us uh, from the doll that we should be more climate change active and not be driving here there and everywhere we have students who are marching in the cities and who want us to walk and cycle which is all very good if you're nearby but if not you have no choice but to drive but as anybody looks back in history and how we had all these services we had all these metro lines in the city and we had all these railways across the county and the government then decided to close them and now they blame us for driving to work simply when they took the other options we had away from us. Uh, good point, Ger, on text 0862103103. I mentioned there earlier regarding this particular rabbit disease that is in the Cork area and it seems in a lot of other counties as well. It's called RHD2 and it's been confirmed over the last number of days. The disease has been found in 12 animals but the actual number of infected rabbits and hares could be far higher as samples in the number of these cases was taken from one animal drawn from a large group of dead animals. So they're not too sure uh, what the actual uh, infection number is because they have just picked that up from a number of animals. Uh, on WhatsApp, the person saying that uh, if this rabbit disease is so deadly and kills in five days, how come since August only five to six cases have been reported only hares found in a national park in Wexford coursing clubs can catch and vaccinate hares if needed who else can do that says that particular person on WhatsApp Uh, well I know this has affected coursing clubs whereby they now cannot go out coursing and the season has been closed in many areas and with regards to the numbers well according to, to the latest news is that the numbers they have given is just because they're the infected rabbits that they have taken samples of but they do say the numbers are probably far higher so uh, the story there in August has slightly changed now from 5 to 6 to 12 cases but again uh, they're saying there's more than that but they just haven't got the samples to prove that uh, but that is the latest on that we might discuss that later uh, with Jane to see if she's in the know of that particular disease uh, which has hit rabbits and hares across Cork uh, and thank you for your calls on the water issue in Bally Desmond again a lot of calls coming in we will check that out and come back uh, with an answer uh, from uh, Irish Water on what is happening regarding the water situation in Bally Desmond but on the way we are going to hear and discuss do you think that Cork should be split into three counties when it comes to allocation of money for Cork County given the size of Cork and some would say some areas are not receiving their fair share of funding do we now need to split up the county so that we get our share fair of funding like other counties in Ireland your views are welcome on that we'll discuss that next C103 Jobs and on today's job spot, we have opportunities for a labourer wanted for plasterers to work mainly in the Mallow and Kanturk areas. Own transport is necessary. Contact Damien on 087-783-0247 or email ocplastering at gmail.com. Part-time childminder is wanted to mind two children of school-going age in the children's own home in the New Market area. Contact 086 And the poachers in abandon require... A 
a waiter or waitress two years experience is necessary contact 023-884-1159 for further details you'll find these jobs and more online now at c103.ie forward slash jobs Cork today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 many in Cork feel given the size of the county the way Cork is funded needs to change it was recently raised at a meeting at Cork County Council and Councillor Gerard Murphy who brought forward the motion joins me good morning to you George Good morning, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. And thanks for joining us. Now, uh, we've been discussing the uh, property tax at the start of the week and a lot of people feel that some areas of Cork lose out when it comes to investment and maybe when it comes to funding. And is that why we need to look at splitting Cork into three? So this is to ensure areas of Cork which may feel forgotten about when it comes to funding can actually allocate and actually receive uh, this particular funding. No, I I want to emphasise that historically... uh, Cork was always treated as three counties. Uh, you had North Cork, West Cork, and South Cork. And uh, there has been an enormous amount of new initiatives uh, from the Department of Heritage and Rural Affairs through Michael Ring in recent years. And uh, they have decided to distribute them uh, equally to each county. So uh, a small county like uh, Sligo, Roscommon, Monaghan, Callow, Longford, or Leitrim uh, gets the same funding as Cork because Cork uh, is now not treated as three counties when those funds are being distributed. And what type uh, of funding are we talking about? Like the CLAR funding, those type of funding? We're talking about CLAR funding, we're talking about outdoor uh, recreation funders, uh, out, outdoor recreation infrastructure, uh, playgrounds, outdoor uh, uh, various youth programmes. Uh, rural regeneration programs, uh, town and village renewal programs, uh, a lot of programs, a lot of programs that are proving extremely useful uh, in helping c- uh, community groups uh, regenerate and develop facilities in their areas. But the problem is, uh, Cork is not getting from the national fund its fair share because of the size of the county. And I again want to emphasise that Cork was always treated in the past, historically, as three counties. There was uh, North Cork, which had, had its headquarters in Mallow. There was South Cork, which had its headquarters in Cork. And there was West Cork, which had its uh, headquarters in Clannacilty. Uh, there were always three. And up to 10 years ago, they all had separate budgets and separate estimates every year. Um, this gradually faded away. But it was reinforced again uh, in the last five years by the fact that that there were three LCDCs set up in Cork, one north, one west, and one south. Uh, So we need to get the message across very strongly to government that because of the size of the county, because of the population of the county, that there is absolutely no logic whatsoever in treating it like uh, counties, uh, other smaller counties around the country. If you look at North Cork, the, the population of North Cork is nearly double the population of the counties I mentioned, Skygo, Roscommon, Monaghan, Carlow, Longford, and Leitrim. Not a, and, Le- and West Cork is nearly the same. And South Cork is three times the size, uh, population-wise, of those counties. Now, South Cork is fairly well covered because it's it's a, an industrial uh, zone and it's metropolitan. But West and North Cork, particularly, uh, uh, should be in the same category. Uh, and they have vast sp- uh, spans of area, 
that need infrastructure and a lot of small villages uh, that um, need to be uh, regenerated and uh, upgraded. Uh, so from that point of view, uh, we just have to get the message across that when these funds are being allocated, Cork is allocated on the basis of three counties. And do we know why they changed this? Why they no, merged all into no, one? No, and that is why uh, I have asked for uh, an expert from the political uh, um, uh, department in UCC to look at the historical impact of it, to see how Cork was set up into the three-county system initially. Like, we are unique in the sense that we have three county managers, in the sense, three divisional managers, one north, one west, and one south, as well as the chief executive. No other county in the country has that structure. Uh, and that is why we were always recognised as three counties. Um, and again, when the LCDCs were being formed, uh, combining the legs and the ID to Hallas and very Horror Falters and all West Cork and uh, South Cork, the department decided that there was justification for treating Cork as three counties. Uh, but when it comes to the distribution of these new funds that are very substantial and very generous, and to be honest, the communities are positive to a certain extent about drawing them down. There's so many appearing at this point in time. But Cork is not getting its fair share because of the size of the county. So you would agree with callers to our show, so who feel because of this that some areas in Cork, because you're getting the same funding as, as smaller counties such as Sligo, Roscommon or Leitrim, there are some areas in Cork which are losing out because simply the funds you're getting won't cover everybody. The, the, the county as a whole uh, is losing out hmm. because of the fact that they are not recognising the historical fact and the recently confirmed fact by the City of three LCDCs that Cork should be treated in, as three counties when this funding is being distributed. And why did they all of a sudden not recognise this when for years it was the case uh, and you still have the council offices in those particular regions? Uh, why, why did they decide this and, and who decided? Was it, was it those who distribute the funding for those particular, for example, those that distribute the CLAR funding? Was, was it that particular department decided? Like, do we know why all of a sudden they, they, they changed it? We, I know we outlined there the reasoning, but do, do we know who decided this would have to, was going to happen and why all of a sudden they changed more or less overnight? Basically, the scenario seems to be that the decision was taken that it would be per county. Uh, now, if you look at the CLAR programme in particular, the CLAR programme is um, designated for CLAR areas. Uh, you can well understand why um, uh, counties like uh, Leitrim and Longford uh, would be reasonably high priority, but equally, West Cork and North Cork would be high priority and would have doubled the population of those two counties. Uh, you asked me the question, why did it happen and when did it happen? There was just a decision taken. There was going to be so many projects per county. Rather, and the fact that historically, and this wouldn't have been known generally around the country, that Cork was always treated as three counties. And uh, that is why I call for the investigation. Uh, like there has to be in, uh, regulations or ministerial orders or legislation in the past that originally divided the county into three divisions. I want to carefully examine to see uh, were those uh, regulations or laws or ministerial others nullified or are they still in existence and the department just ignored them. 
And as there was no consultation with you guys in County Hall about this, I mean, what if they come back and go, well, this is the simple fact that Galway is one county, they'll say, they'll say Sligo is the same, Cork is the same, and this is all we can give you. We don't have the money uh, to be investing uh, a higher rate in Cork than other counties, even though the argument here, and we would all agree with the argument that we do need it separated into three. What if they come back and say, no, I mean, where do you go from that, that particular point if, if they just say, no, we're not giving you the money and you're getting money from one county what I want to do is look back at the legal significance the historical legal significance of how it was originally decided that Cork was to be treated as three counties Uh, was it a ministerial order was it a regulation from the Minister for the Environment Uh, was it an actual uh, Arachtas law and when if ever were those extinguished and are they really in existence and it's in my opinion, it's quite possible if they weren't if they weren't extinguished properly, that they are still in existence, and that the uh, department is acting irregularly in not uh, assigning three counties to cost. Now, many speaking of funding, many people are asking all week because of the increase in the local property tax. Uh, they feel it's an unfair tax still. But do you feel because you're one of the ones I presume that would have voted for the increase in the property tax that we do need this particular tax to deal with the road infrastructure in Cork? We discussed all week that people don't see return for this tax, and because what you mentioned there of funding, do you agree that that we do need this particular tax so to keep Cork running because of the way funding is coming from central government? If you uh, analyse the voluntary work of all the communities uh, around the country, particularly around North Cork, and you analyse what has, the council has been able to do since the introduction of local property tax, they have been able to provide uh, town development funds to the local communities. They've been able to provide painting schemes to the local communities. They've been uh, able to play, uh, provide new playgrounds to for local communities in Hentham, they are providing upgrades to existing ones uh, because they must now be kept in perfect shape uh, because of the insurance claims. Uh, they are supporting the Tidy Towns organisations. Uh, they are supporting the arts organisations. They are the arts grants, the community grants, the amenity grants, the town renewal grants, and the actual um, increase uh, is insignificant in, in that most of the areas in, in the western part of the county in North Cork and in West Cork uh, the value of the houses would range uh, from uh, 80 or 90,000 to 150,000 and a 5% increase uh, in those is 5% on, on, on 90 or 150 euros a year is negatively compared to the general good it does the entire community and the effect it has on giving seed money to the excellent voluntary organisations out there. We're breaking the house every day of the week uh, trying to upgrade their towns, villages and their rural areas. And when you mentioned towns and villages, there are many, though, in more rural areas would say, well, they're not seeing the return from the investment because they have to look after their own roads, sink their own wells, have their own septic tanks. So do you need to reform the local property tax in a way that maybe it is only oh, applicable let, to those in the towns and villages. Let's be very clear now. Um, the water infrastructure and the deficit tanks that you're talking about has absolutely nothing to do with this uh, situation. The funding that I'm talking about benefits every town and village. 
Recently, we have a new playground in Rock Chapel. We're putting a new playground in Tullis. We have upgraded the uh, the, uh, um, the playground in Newmarket. There is funding being made available for a new playground in Kentuck. There's a massive new play- playground being put into Charleville. Uh, and uh, the painting scheme is currently happening in the market where there are about 50 new houses, 50 houses after applying for grants. It was in Kentuck last year. Uh, it was it's getting better and better every year and more people. And you can actually see the improvement in the town. Uh, the tidy towns are improving each year because they have the seed money uh, to actually uh, promote what the hard work they're doing. And this is coming from the local property tax money you're yes. saying? Yes, it is. But, yeah. but, and, that's, and that's very well, and we have made that point in Fromoy as well, but what I'm saying is the callers to our show who are living in areas not in the town, not in a village, in a rural area where they don't have a, a, a public lighting system, uh, they don't have a public water supply, they feel they're not seeing their return for their investment because they're not, their water supply is their own, they think their own well to get their water. So they feel they're not getting any return for their property tax. Basically, what I mean, in you is that the, that's not the stream of funding that's used. Uh, there is well grants, for argument's sake, uh, for uh, water for people in rural areas. Um, no, look, there is no doubt that they have a cost, that people in rural areas they have, have because a cost. They're paying the tax the same as everybody living in the centre of a town. So if you're living in a town, at least, even though you feel you're not getting the services in some towns, at least they are there. You're getting a public water supply. You have a light outside your door. If you're living in a rural area... You've nothing outside your door. You have to look after your road no- road network. A lot of them are in disrepair. You'd have to agree there. The road networks in rural areas are not fantastic. And then you are having your own septic tanks and your own wells. And you know that there are grants there for them. The grants cannot be high enough sometimes. But outside of the grants, it's the fact that people in rural areas are paying the same as in towns for a local property tax that they feel they are not getting a return for their investment. That's what we are hearing here on our phones all week. We have to be extremely careful of how we approach that situation. You will also hear of complaints about planning in rural areas uh, and the reason that some planners and some national planners will give you uh, for um, restricting uh, housing in rural areas is that they cannot provide that type of infrastructure economically to those people. Uh, as They can't provide the sewage, they can't provide uh, broadband from now on, they can provide uh, everything costs more when you're dealing with once after rural housing. Uh, so if you're going to carry that argument to its extreme, uh, the, you, the national uh, planning framework might come up with a solution. Is the best way is to stop rural housing altogether, up to limited uh, to people that are, should or should only be living there. So have a situation where if you're from the area, you're allowed to build a house there. But if you're not from the area, you don't build a house, is it? Well, look, those rules are, are extremely com- uh, complex. Uh-huh. Um, the new national planning framework uh, says that if you are building in the green belt uh, around towns or villages, are, uh, and there are three different areas. There are uh, areas under strong urban influence where it's very difficult uh, to, to get one's off housing. There are areas of medium uh, influence, and then there are areas in West, in in Norcock particularly, uh, west of Kento, where uh, it's regarded as weaker and it's easier to get planning in, in, in those areas. But do you agree with the overall argument from people that in a very rural area they don't see a return 
for what they pay in their property tax. Can you can you see what can you hear what people are saying with their frustrations well, I, of that? I, I, I can tell you is from practical experience, right? Uh, Newmarket would be a relatively small town, uh, and the uh, people in the vicinity of Newmarket, Newmarket Parish, well, they don't benefit to the same extent as people in the town uh, from the playgrounds, from the arts from the tidy towns, and this. They still use those facilities. They still use the school. The school is attached to a park. Town Park is a great facility. Uh, they, they they still use uh, the town and the village when they come into the town. Uh, uh, like if you were going to kill off the towns and the villages, you were going to kill off the rural areas as well. It takes a reasonably good town or village to be able to service the rural area around. And Ger, just a question in here about the local property tax, about it, is it going to stay in Cork? And we know a percentage of it goes to other counties. Does that frustrate you when you were on about initially about funding? Is it frustrating for you councillors knowing that the, the money raised in Cork does go elsewhere, a percentage of it goes uh, to other counties? No, it does not. Uh, I've been in the council long enough uh, to uh, know if we adopted that attitude in Cork County Council and if we insisted that all the tax collected in one area would stay in that area, then South Cork would have most of the budget and North and West Cork would have very little of the budget. There is a transfer of resources even within Cork uh, from South Cork where there is major economic activity, where there are major rate bases, uh, where there is major property tax inflow. And if that was all, if people, if councils in, in County Cork insisted that all that money be spent in South Cork, then North and West would suffer immensely. In the same context, uh, if uh, the richer counties or the bigger counties weren't prepared, particularly Dublin, which has massive revenues from uh, local property, local property tax, if they weren't prepared, the subsidised counties like County Leitrim and, and North Cork and West Cork, then there would be total inequity around the county. And I've no doubt about it that people in Dublin or people in Cork City uh, go to West Cork, go to uh, Kerry, uh, go to Leitrim, people in Dublin go to Leitrim for their holidays. And go to so you have to have a balance uh, of how the money is distributed. Okay, very. Finally, George, uh, you might be aware of this. We're getting a lot of calls this morning about a water issue in Ballydesmond. Do you have any update on, on what is happening there? Irish Water is saying they are working at the moment on the problem. Have you an update there on the Ballydesmond situation? I am slow to respond at the moment. As you understand, this only happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, it um, took the council uh, by surprise. I spoke to the senior engineer involved last night. Uh, he said they were... Uh, doing uh, water drops there this morning uh, to try and alleviate the immediate problem, which won't do satisfactorily, but at least it will get people out of trouble. Uh, it's a um, legal enough question. And, uh, okay, but if it's legal, we, we, won't, we won't go too far into it, so just to yeah. be on the safe side, but uh, yeah. Yeah. it's uh, obviously I, I a complicated guess. situation in there in Bally Desmond at the moment. It, it's complicated. Okay. unfortunate that it wasn't anticipated and that something wasn't done about it now. Okay, well, well, we'll wait and see what happens and Irish Water are in contact with us. But for the moment, there is water, you're saying, being dropped off in Ballydesmond for people to avail of anyhow. My understanding from the engineer last night was that uh, two tankers were to arrive in Ballydesmond for since one. 
OK, well, Jared, thank you for that update. And uh, we'll hopefully we'll see that the uh, funding from Clore and those other fundings will be uh, evenly distributed again to all the areas of Cork uh, if they do decide to go back to the three splits we already had for the moment. Thanks, Jared, for joining us this morning. Uh, that is Councillor Jared Murphy, a Fine Gael councillor in the Canturk area. Your views are welcome on that particular situation. And should we go back to what we had a number of years ago uh, so that all of Cork can receive proper funding by splitting the county into three, 1850, three, Three three one zero three, or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103 or Gardafoyle is next. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. Time for this week's Gardafoyle. I'm joined by Sergeant James O'Donovan from Baden and Garda Station. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, John Paul. I want to start first of all with three break ins to business premises, but these are all similar. Uh, these are all petrol stations. Yes, these are. We had a number of burglaries into business premises over the last week, filling stations. Um, spread right across the division. I suppose we've started Rathmore there on Wednesday, in the early hours of Wednesday, the 18th of September last. Um, a filling station in the town was broken into. I suppose we're anxious for people that might have seen anything suspicious maybe on a day or two, a couple of days up before the event and including the morning of the event. We are conscious that there were a number of people leaving the Rathmore er- area early going to the ploughing match. So I suppose we're appealing to people that may have seen anything suspicious to contact the Gardaí in Mill Street or McCroom. And, and something similar then to another filling station in Benablaw in the early part of the 20th of September. Again, it's a busy road. It's on the Bantry lines to Cork. I suppose we're asking people that if they did see something suspicious or people acting suspicious or a strange car maybe on the day of the event on the 20th of September or maybe a number of days beforehand, if it didn't register, to be quite correct with them, to pick up the phone and contact the Gardaí in McCroom or in Crookstone. And I suppose the final burglary at the business premises happened in Banaspital at a filling station there on the same day of the 20th, later on in the evening, um, after the filling station was closed, entry was gained, and there was, uh, uh, I suppose, a quantity of cash and a few other items taken. Again, a busy road, um, John Paul, from we say the Gardstown area and Kilbritton area towards Kilbritton, that road is very busy and we're, again, appealing to the public to assist us in this area from the point of view if they saw anything suspicious on that day or the day leading up to the 20th of September to contact the Gardaí here in Bandon Garda Station. And I presume it's a warning for all filling stations just to be vigilant as this particular crime. Uh, we've seen it in other areas of the country, but it's evident they were targeting filling stations by going to three in the Cork area. And yeah. in, well, Rathmore, I suppose, in Kerry, but on the border. Yes, that is correct, John Paul. I suppose look, we've been very lucky over the last number of years that we didn't have, um, uh, we weren't being targeted in relation to these type of crimes. But as you said, they are happening around other areas of the country. And we're appealing to people that who are travelling early in the early hours and they're maybe passing um, filling stations or any other business or retail areas and they see something strange, don't hesitate to pick up the phone of your local garage station and contact us and we'll be able to follow up on that call straight away. I suppose I will be calling to, and I just wanted to put out there, I will be calling to a number of businesses over the next couple of weeks in view of what happened last week just to give advice to them in, in general security of their, their premises. But... I suppose on air today I want to ask people just, you know, come into the winter months, 
make sure their CCTV systems have been serviced and the cameras are cleaned and the lenses are cleaned, removed from any debris that might have been blown up there and that they have carried out a test with their intruder alarm with their monitoring company. And that goes for domestic premises as well. It's very important. We're paying for a service here for monitoring alarm companies, but we might never test it. And unfortunately, it might only be tested on the day of a burglary and it mightn't have worked or there might have been an issue with it. So we're just asking people just to get, carry out those little few minor checks. And again, I will be calling around to the few businesses over the next couple of weeks. But if anyone wanted to contact me, in the meantime, they can email me on james.g.odonovan at garda.ie. Leave their contact details and I'll get back to them. And we have your details here. If, if businesses do want to contact us, we can pass it on. You want to mention, James, two thefts. Uh, first one is from a car in Clonakilty. Yes, this happened in the Woodlands area of Clonakilty on Friday the 13th of September. Um, there was a wallet and uh, a number of items sto- stolen from a car. We're asking people that would have been in that area on Friday the 13th overnight to, to contact the Gardaí in relation to anything suspicious they saw. And again, on the 23rd of September, there was, um, I suppose this was a, a very narrow window. Um, the owner of the bike had left the bike behind the wall. Um, an hour later, he returned and the bike was gone. And we're asking for anyone to contact the Gardaí in Bandon that would have seen anyone acting suspicious there in the, the Cork Road site of Bandon on the 23rd of September. And moving to criminal damage, James, and uh, this is just an awful crime, a defibrillator box uh, damaged in clinicality. Yes, look, any criminal damage is awful because people don't want to come across it, but when it comes to a defibrillator box, look, these machines are valuable to the community and could end up saving a life someday. But I suppose, again, it, there was an awful lot of work done with communities in getting these defibrillator boxes up. This one was damaged um, uh, on the 20th of September uh, in the western side of Clannacilty or on the Parish Hall side. Um, again, we're asking for people that would have any, anyone seen acting suspicious in or around the Parish Hall or on the western roadside of Clannacilty on the 20th of September to contact the Gardaí here because, as you said, this is a valuable resource that's there for the communities of, uh, throughout West Cork and they need, these devices need to be minded as well. And bogus callers, uh, we still have bogus callers calling to the various parts of the county. You want to highlight one here uh, that was calling to areas of Ross Carberry, Lepp and Skibbereen. Yes, this occurred in the last number of weeks. Um, there was a woman, a woman calling to houses in the Ross Carberry, Lepp and Skibbereen area of West Cork. She was pretending to be from the HSC. She was trying to get access into the house to have a look at these, um, I suppose, elderly, vulnerable people. Again, I just want to point out that the HSC only called by appointment or in the case of emergency. And if these callers are out there pretending to be from um, any service, be it um, the HSC or, as as we've had in the past, uh, Irish Water, or just to call, contact the Gardaí and not to engage with them, don't open the door. If you have the door chain or the door limiter, put it in action and don't engage them and contact us straight away and we'll call to that area and see if we can catch up with these bogus callers. OK, you want to remind people as well about the Garda Youth Awards. So there is forms available still if people want to enter and submit the application forms for those particular awards. Yes, um, the application forms have to be in by the 18th of October 2019. They can be downloaded online on the www. Uh, Garda website.ie and they can also be got at, any, got at any Garda station filled out look there's some great work being done by young people throughout the county and we wish to recognise these and uh, if we can if you want to nominate them get those forms and then hand them into any Garda station in the Cork West Division um, I suppose John Paul I just want to finish on a number of two things first of all the Gardaí and McCroom would like to thank the members of the public for all their help 
throughout the recent inquiries regarding the robbery incident in the McCroom Castle ground there on Tuesday the 17th. Um, arrests have been made and a file is currently now being prepared for the DPP. But again, the assistance from the general public around McCroom was of um, very benefit to the investigation and we'd like to thank people for that. And on a lighter note, I suppose, we just want to point out that the Marvel Marquee Festival, Band and Music Festival with the Marvel Marquee is on this weekend, starting on Friday the 27th and Saturday 28th and Sunday the 29th, where there's uh, three gigs going on with um, Chasing Abbey, the Fruries, and um, the Robert Mizzle and the Country Kings. We just want to say that we're supporting the event and we'll be on the ground ensuring that everyone has a safe and an enjoyable weekend and everyone is more than welcome. Very good, James. Appreciate that. Thank you for this week's Garda File. That's Sergeant James O'Donovan there from Bandon Garda State. Thursday afternoon, keep your pet questions coming for Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. She'll join us after 12.30. Your questions are welcome to Bernie, 1850 333 103 R&D text or WhatsApp 0862103103. A lot of calls and comments in regarding funding issues for Cork County. Following our conversation with Councillor Gerard Murphy, I'll get to those comments as well and indeed other issues Uh, But I want to go back to something we spoke about earlier on at the start of the show this morning. And this is how many callers feel once a person commits a crime, the sentences are too lenient. Well, Sally Hanlon, who is Director of Support After Crime Services, joins me. Sally, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, John Paul. Sally, I suppose initially you'd agree with callers who feel that the sentences that some receive from our courts can be too soft and that in turn then is leading people to choose crime as a lifestyle. Again, I suppose it's quite complex uh, and we have to look at the cases as per case. But overall, and the, the from our experience of dealing with victims of crime, repeat offenders, uh, are not being looked at and the sentences appropriate to the crime. So, again, if you're a victim of crime and you have somebody you've been uh, affected by the crime perpetrated by the accused um, and you they go into court and there is little or no uh, consequences for their actions, well, there isn't... The message of deterrent isn't strong enough. So victims can be re-victimised by the lesser sentences handed out in the court. And would you hear from people when they are in court or even those that attend court, they often see the same people returning and not taking the whole justice system seriously enough. It's becoming a part of life for them and that's why they go out and re-offend again because they're getting three months or less of a sentence. Yes, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, if statistics were done, and could be obtained from the court services, uh, it would be very interesting because where our office is located quite close to a district, the district court, and certainly the same faces are appearing there time in and time out. And the one-off offender, you could easily identify them because they may be a little apprehensive or in fear as well of what's going to happen. But those who are making a lifestyle out of it and it's like an excursion out for a day to go to the court. They're not bothered. They're not bothered at all by it. They are uh, just having the chat and it's like a place to meet up. 
And as crime is still on the increase in many parts of our, our country and indeed county, and we've seen a lot of various attacks over the last number of weeks here in Cork alone, is it a case that if we were tougher with people when it comes to sentencing and giving them longer sentencing, even though I know people will say our, our jails and prisons are full, but look at other countries, the way they get tougher with their criminals and they have seen a reduction in somewhat anyhow in crime. Do we just need simply to get tougher and look at a different route of dealing with criminals in this country? Well, I think get tougher, but also look at the opportunity maybe for rehabilitation and for those who don't engage within the prison system in rehabilitation, well, then the next time they appear back to the court, their sentences should be tougher. And crimes overall, when you're dealing with victims after a particular crime, are they getting more severe? Are people who are attacking or carrying out a crime, are they getting more violent? It appears to be the case. Um, we look at assault and that, an unprovoked assault, the injuries can be life-lasting for the victim. And the, the, the brutality or the recklessness in way in which the crime is committed, it's without fear for those who are committing it. They don't seem to see consequences of the lifestyle changes they're going to bring about on their victims. And again, as I say, we, we go through the system then and there isn't a learning curve for them. There isn't something to say, I am sorry, I should never have done that, I didn't realise, and I am will make up whatever way I can. And the best way they could make up is uh, restore the harm that's done and not to reoffend. And that doesn't seem to be the pattern. Because if you were a victim, John Paul, of a crime in the morning and your case eventually reaches court and you discover the person that, that has committed the crime against you is maybe already on bail and when it gets into the court has a, a large, large number of previous convictions. That irritates you more. You say, if the, if the proper punishment had been put in place for those other crimes, I may not find myself a victim of crime, of their crime anywhere. That's a very good point. Also very hard for those who are in a court situation. As you said, some of those that commit the crime are used to it, but for the victim, it can be hard standing there looking at the particular person who may have attacked you or, or whatever the case. And again, because you hear he has previous convictions, if he was given the longer sentence or treated in some certain way or her, uh, yeah. it might have prevented that from happening. Exactly. And again, like if, you know, for, if you're going into the court uh, as, as, a, as a victim... You, you're going into that court, you don't, you become involved with the criminal justice system as a victim, victim, witness for the state. You have no idea, you may never have been in court. So without an organization such as ourselves, and the guards do great work, not taken from the guards, but for an independent service who's there to explain procedures, <coughs> time frames, and just be, be, be somebody there for them, to inform them, because I always believe information yeah, and that they have some type and of support. It is frightening, John Paul. Yes, it is a frightening experience. Because the people, um, majority of us have never been to court and we're not too sure how the whole system works. And in mind when you're no. in a situation with the guy or girl standing across the way from you who has carried out whatever it is they have on you, uh, th- that's why services like you provide, you give an insight, you, you know what's going to happen. But that can be a comfort to someone who was never inside the district court or whatever kind of courthouse before. Yes, indeed it can. And like if people... Uh, kind of half know what to expect because none of us will know exactly what's going to happen and the outcome of a court case but that they're prepared not coached prepared 
for for the system, and it 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 is good for them, and they benefit from that. But you know, we just go back to you know you've had your calls this morning. Unfortunately, I wasn't in the position to hear them. But if you have somebody and their house is burgled tonight, or their car is dropped, their handbag is dropped, whatever, right, or what it matters, and there's a large sum of money taken, and we just put say five, six, seven thousand, it's gone. And personal items, and sentimental value items, and jewelry. When, when that person who has committed that crime goes to court, and they get a six month or whatever with three months suspended sentence, the ten thousand or the amount of money and the jewelry is still a loss to the victim. And it has to be some way that that they should have to cooperate or be made pay back in some manner. The, the harm that has caused and how that can be done, I suppose, it's the multi-agency approach to it to see if it can be done. And Sally, for the more serious crimes then, I mean, we always get the arguments uh, from callers saying that life a life sentence should... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. mean life, not just so many years, it should mean life. Do you think these kind of sentences, people know when they are issued a life sentence, it's only a, a number of years, it isn't life. Is that also not putting people off crime? I mean, today I'm sure you're very familiar with the headline in all the papers it's going to be a, a, on RTE primetime later on this evening and this is right. the uh, death of Nicholas Sweeney who was knifed to death in uh, in Rochestown back in 2002. Her pal Shanira Leary lucky to be alive. She's speaking out this evening on prime time uh, but right. the person who knifed young Nicola Peter Whelan he has received temporary release just six years into the life sentence he received for Nicola's murder uh, that is very upsetting obviously enough to the family but the callers this morning to us just feel that that's just so wrong to think that someone can can do that crime and then be let out for release yes. their release Hello? Yes, yeah, Sally, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. 
can hear you now. Yeah, yeah it's can, it's hear, just yeah. very upsetting for callers and obviously not the family, but for callers to hear that news coming out this morning that, that this particular man can get day release considering the crime he carried out. It's incomprehensible really after six years for a murder and an attempted murder. And again, there is, uh, I suppose, a system in that where he can apply with uh, legal help, remember that word there now, to, for, to the parole board for his releases. <clears throat> he can, at some stage, regain what is a normal life. The McSweeney's and, and the, the other girl, O'Leary, she will, she has to carry this for the rest of her life. So, in up to recently, these day releases uh, would be happening and people may not be informed of them. <coughs> no, excuse me. But now the prison service has to uh, inform the families of any uh, release from prison where the person is in custody. So like, it, it is wrong. It is very wrong. I can't say the reason for it. I know it was a debate again recently uh, in relation to another murder case in Cork where the person was allowed out for family reasons a very short time into their sentence. So I suppose the whole system, John Paul, needs to be looked at. You know, they will tell you that there is no room for emotion or feelings in the criminal justice system. But people are human, and the victims are human, and they have their feelings and thoughts, which are, you know, they're yeah. there, and, and they're entitled to them. Of course they are. Uh, and you mentioned legal help there. Is that free legal aid within the system, you mean? Oh, yes, yeah. So we're paying for that as taxpayers and then people yeah. are leaving that their sentence uh, on day release and it's us the taxpayers are paying for that legal. So that's even more infuriating, I'm sure, to people. Uh, Sally, uh, thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon. Well done on the work you provide for those who are victims of crime. Hopefully someone within the justice system uh, takes on board what you were saying and the sentences and the way we, we treat those who are repeat offenders. For the moment, uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. That is Sally Hanlon there, who's Director of Support After Crime Services. Uh, and if you want details on how to contact them, you can contact us on 1850-333-103 and we'll pass on details on how to get in contact with that particular service. Now, a lot of calls and comments in regarding our conversation earlier with Councillor Jared Murphy, a Fine Gael councillor in the Canturk area. Uh, first of all, we were speaking about the funding uh, and that it changed to funding, for example, Chlor funding to Cork. It's now all considered as one. And uh, Jared and others, we all feel we should go back to the way it was a number of years ago, uh, having Cork split up again. So should we split Cork, Cork up in three ways, north, south and west? And the majority feel we should. And that's the way it should go. Anyway, as they work on that, uh, we also spoke about the local property tax because I was bringing in how some areas feel they don't get all the money. And is that why... Uh, Fine Gael councillors and others voted for the increase in the local property tax and that opened up the argument again regarding uh, where the money goes. Just a number of comments in, uh, on that particular uh, situation and indeed the money for the local property tax where it goes. Jared did mention the parks uh, uh, and the roads and villages and towns but it's people I was, I was putting to him in rural areas feel hard done by because they don't see any evidence of the particular local property tax and the money that is used in the local property tax. Well, Linda in Mill Street says, I'm surprised at Jared Murphy to say those of us in rural areas used the towns, so we should pay the local property tax. But what about the services, public lighting, water, etc.? We don't get those services, but 
still pay the same rate as those in villages and towns. Why can't no one understand that particular argument? Fair enough, the money goes towards parks, etc. But at the same time, a lot of it goes towards services, which we do not get in rural areas, says Linda in Mill Street. While Anne I agree with George on the splitting of the county. Again, it makes sense to go back to having the county split to receive uh, funding. But also, yes, I agree with the local property tax going to fund parks, which is great. But again, no one seems to understand about those rural areas. Uh, George kept mentioning towns, but it's so annoying as again, rural areas do not have lights. We must maintain water pumps. I would love for someone in power just to acknowledge that the local property tax is not working for us in rural areas. Yes, we do use the towns. Yes, younger families do use the parks, but we still must invest ourselves for our own water, our own septic tanks. Of so why there is grants there, they're very low and they don't cover all the costs. Plus, these services must be maintained. Again, no one in power is acknowledging this, which is frustrating. I just feel they're letting rural Ireland down again. And also, are we paying a tax twice, paying to install our services and then paying for a tax we don't see any return on? That's how Anne feels in North Cork on text to 0862103103. On the issue of grants for wells, well, Dermot says there was no grants for wells years ago when most of the rural houses that you see now in rural Ireland were built. Well, Tom and Bantry says, I live in a housing estate, 120 houses, mixed council and private. Since, since then, the estate was built. The footpaths were never upgraded. There are cracked and broken footpaths. And in some places, there is no footpaths at all. The council put a walkway around the seashore, though the estate and back to the town again. Tourists are walking through the estate now, but it is dangerous because of the state of the footpaths. And there are no signs pointing back to Bantry town. So tourists now are getting lost within our housing estate. Uh, they were promised when the property tax came in, the footpaths will be fixed. Bush, we have not seen any evidence of that here in Bantry, says Tom on to Bernie 1850 while Liam and Bruff says if farmers do not keep the hedgerows down, they should be taxed more, feels Liam. He also says all the tax paid in Munster should stay in Munster and not be sent to Dublin. While on hedgerows, uh, texts are saying the hedges are so bad here in Ballyshane and Cloyne that a car and a bicycle can't pass each other, not to mind a car or the big trucks and farm machinery that use these roads. Uh, can the council please order landowners to cut the hedges and tidy up their racks, uh, says uh, that particular texter in Klein. Well, according to the council, what they can do if, if landowners don't comply with this, they can be served notices to comply. And that's what the council can do. And they're urging that in a statement to us earlier. And Jill says we have to pay to service our pumps and indeed cut our own hedgerows every year in rural Ireland. So we, in the country areas, we don't get the money and no one understands, says Jill. Uh, thank you, says Jill. On text 0862103103. Keep your pet questions coming for Jane Pickett from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. She'll join us shortly uh, answering all your pet questions. Also shortly we're going to hear about Project Edward, which is running across Europe today. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. 
Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And you can join Johnny Bongos and friends in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow this evening for their Tradford Trocra session starting at 10 o'clock. And the National Council for the Blind are looking for reliable volunteer staff for their charity shop in Bantry. Contact Lynn on 087 3484 And Timberley Community Jackpot Bingo every Friday. It starts at 8.45 in the Community Hall and the jackpot for the bingo this week is €2,040. Euros. And Clyde Rovers GA, they will hold their weekly lotto draw in Derry Murphy's Bar. That's on this Friday night and their jackpot is €2,250. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And on the issue of those who commit crimes and receive small sentences is what some people are saying here on text and they're right low sentences uh, whereby they should be receiving moral one particular texter here on WhatsApp says if those people that are committing those crimes if they do receive social welfare their particular social welfare payments should be cut and then give some of it to the victim uh, that might be another way of looking at this particular case and indeed uh, stopping those from continuing on to repeat offence uh, thank you for your WhatsApp on that when it comes to the issue of those who repeat offence who go to court don't see it as a serious day in court at all are used to that uh, they're given two or three months and then they're back out again reoffending. while the person they have actually hurt is still feeling the trauma from that uh, another idea there is if they are receiving social welfare payments to cut that and earlier uh, regarding the issue of no water in Ballydesmond we were speaking to Jared Murphy the councillor who is led to believe that tankers uh, well they were due to be there this morning they're obviously not there yet but they're due to be making their way anyhow to Ballydesmond uh, because there is no water in Ballydesmond at the moment. Uh, there is a problem there. Irish Water are working on that particular problem at the moment, uh, but uh, f- the tankers seemingly will be hopefully making their way. We are getting a number of calls from listeners who say there are no tankers in Ballydesmond at the moment, so hopefully uh, the Council and Irish Water are currently organising that. When we get the latest on the restoration of water, we will let you know. But today is Project Edward, which aims to have no road debts across Europe for this particular day. To coincide with the initiative, we are running a feature on road fatalities and the impact it can have on family members. Now, there has been 11 fatal collisions leading to 11 fatalities in Cork so far this year. The same number of fatal collisions and fatalities were recorded year to date in Cork last year. There have been 645 drink driving arrests in Cork so far this year and that compares to 600 and 95 for the same period last year. Our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran spoke with a number of people affected by the deaths of loved ones due to a fatal road collision. In this piece you will hear advanced paramedic Peter DeLay, Albert Toomey who lost her husband, three-year-old son and an unborn daughter in a crash in 2012, Lisa Kelly, who lost her dad over 20 years ago when she was just six and Christina Donnelly whose son Brendan was 24 when he died in 2009 People tend to be away from the car they don't people don't seem to want to be at the car if the person's deceased in the car the scene is usually very quiet people are usually going quick quick over here you know if it's a bad accident and things he's really bad or um, but it tends to be very quiet and people tend to shy away from even wanted to be there. I was at a child that was knocked down and as we approached up we could even see the the mum was about 15 feet away from this child uh, on a green and there was nobody around the child and it was uh, we just knew instantly the child was dead. 
it was the end of October when I went in home first. And till the day I die, I'll never forget it. And it was a moment that you'd love to be able to relive and obviously change the outcome. But it's it was seeing, and always is, uh, where Con used to sit eating his dinner, O'Sheen's high chair empty. Do you know, my empty bed. Like, it's... Every death is tragic, but uh, I'm not saying a road traffic death is more tragic, but it's very instantaneous and it's just a wipeout with no warning. People often say, like, that the pain of losing somebody eases over time, but does it really? No, absolutely not. I think um, you get more used to living without the people you love. But you... You... You wonder what way life would be. Do you know, Sheen should have got his Holy Communion last year. There are milestones. Do you know, it's birthdays, it's Christmas. Um, It's small things. You open a drawer and something falls out. And no, it doesn't get any easier. But I suppose you you learn to get more used to being without. But if you had the choice, that's certainly, do you know, it's... You'd give anything to have one moment... It's a huge change, um, you know, and things will never be the same. And it's not really that anything heals massively. It's just everyone gets on with it and, and it's learning to deal with it. But it's it's not necessarily that things are OK. And it always it always crops up with us at, at different times that he's just not there. And that's the problem, that he's not there. I think I just kind of put it away for a couple of years. It was kind of only a couple of years later that it started to kind of show what it had done. When I got to maybe about eight or nine, I got very, um, like if my mom was to leave me, I'd be just inconsolable and if I had to go stay in friends I would start crying and want to come home and I I do remember developing like this awful fear of death at the time which was probably a bit strange for an eight-year-old to have those thoughts. I sometimes pick up Brendan's photographs and I just rub my hand over them and I look into those brown eyes and I just it breaks my heart to see those brown eyes looking back at me and thinking what a shame What a waste of life. All because somebody, you know, thought that it was okay to get out and drink and drive. And I do ask when I look at Brendan's photograph, do people who kill people, you know, after they've, you know, been drinking and driving, do they ever think about it? Do they ever think about what they've done? Have they any idea of the enormity of what they've done? Are those who are sent to prison and released early and are, you know, get time out to, you know, uh, uh, get back into the community and, 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 you know, get into the reality of family life again. Well, there's, there's no guidebook for us families and me as a mother. You know, I, I, have, I have no guidelines as to what to do. I only know that, you know, I don't have Brendan. And... Uh, I do know that um, even back in 2017, uh, I'll be very honest, I hit rock bottom over Brendan's death in 2017. It hit me like a tsunami, it came out of the blue. I, I, I hit rock bottom, but Brendan wasn't coming back to me. If only I could wake you up, my love, my love.
and thanks to our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran for that particular report highlighting Project Edward which aims to have no road deaths across Europe for today. You heard there those uh, people who have been affected by deaths of loved ones due to a fatal road collision. They're hoping today that there'll be no road deaths across Europe and that is happening in every country across the across Europe today of course obviously here in Ireland as well uh, with Angarda Corner are out enforcing uh, the fact that they would rather have no one die on Irish roads today and you'll hear more about that as we're running a feature across the day here on C103 on our C103 News Bulletins more on that at one but your pet questions are welcome now uh, yeah, Jane is along shortly from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket you can call Bernie now with your pet questions 
um, an eye infection. So it could well be that it might just not be the, the eyes that are affected. And I think you've done well initially just spotting that and spotting that the cough has followed on from that. I think it really does sound like you might need to visit your vet for an examination. It is possible that the eyes might be an isolated issue. And for one reason or another, we might have a, a totally unconnected eye infection. But certainly given the development of the cough as well, that needs to be investigated. So I think pop along to your vet, um, let them know the symptoms and when they've occurred and they'll do a full physical exam and if any treatment's required I'm sure they'll help you out with that. Okay Caroline has a beach on eight weeks old now very hard to house train him anything you could suggest to help Caroline Jane? Oh this is always a challenge so it is little puppies um, so first of all congratulations on getting a new puppy it's a fierce exciting time altogether one thing I would say is it's really just patience and perseverance and patience is really the operative word I think give give your little puppy the most chances you can to give him to get to get it right essentially so take them out to the garden or your designated peeing and pooing spot more than you ever think they'll need to use it give them that option continually the more times they get it right and get rewarded and lots and lots of fuss best puppy on earth play play with them and let them know that you know they've done a really really good job the more time that experience happens in the right place the quicker they will house train the more times accidents happen in the wrong place the slower it'll be so I think it's really it's really the onus is on the owner rather than the pup the pup has I suppose limited understanding until we kind of you know teach it exactly where it needs to go it doesn't know the difference so we need to have patience with it um they'll get the hang of it i think another thing i would say is when you go out and they do their business outside in the right place make a big fuss but don't don't take them ba- straight back inside straight away because sometimes they'll think oh well i've peter Putin now the fun ends i have to go back inside play with them for a good minute half a minute afterwards so that they they don't think that let's say doing their business which is the desired outcome doesn't end all of the fun and i think another thing is just be aware until they're four to six months they don't have full bladder control so if they do have a little accident overnight it's it's not their fault um i think you just need to i think the best thing to do is take them out last thing in the evening and first thing in the morning you might need to get go to bed a little later and get up a little earlier for a little while until they gain that control but i'm sure you'll get there and another training exercise here for you this one is from Frick he's got a Yorkie and when he was nine months old he began chewing everything peeing and pooing now I bring him outside to go for his pee but he won't go and then when he comes in he goes mm-hmm. uh, now I have him in a crate when I leave the house so is there anything extra I can do any help at all says Frick mm. this can be really challenging particularly if you have a little dog that was previously house trained and something has changed I would wonder if something has changed within the pattern of what you were doing when he goes out to the out to the garden to do his peas and poos certainly I would I would make sure that you know very much like our, our previous caller I would make sure that you don't end all of the fun once he's done his business outside because it may be that he he may be have been bought in immediately after doing his peas and poos and he's holding off on doing it for as long as he can and then he's absolutely bursting to go by the time he gets inside but he knows the fun is over playing outside at that point so he thinks oh I'll just do it inside here so I think you really just need to give him a good amount of activity outside lots of mental stimulation and certainly motion does kind of encourage the bowels to move as it were so I think a lot of play outside will certainly help to get things moving um positive reinforcement so when they do it right on the odd occasion he is doing it right outside you know make the biggest fuss you can of him he's absolutely fabulous and the one thing I would say is very much like the puppy you are kind of starting from scratch here just pretend you've got an eight week old puppy and you won't go far wrong a lot of patience because for one reason or another he's just got it into his head that this is where he's meant to do his business and it's not his fault that he's a little bit wrong 
Okay, and I've uh, this person here on text has a seven-year-old. Should do I forget? I forgot to give the booster last year. Is it okay to give the booster now, or do I have to do something else? Okay, so I think well done on remembering it needs to be done I think it's one of the toughest things sometimes I normally suggest people put a big big mark in your calendar for next year mm. when you get your vaccination done this year some practices will run a vaccination reminder system where we'll ring you a few a few months in advance but do- double check with your practice whether that's part of their protocol or not it is for some not for others um Certainly, I think getting up to date with vaccinations is a really good idea for this little dog. If they've missed it last year, they can certainly have a vaccination this year, but they'll probably need to be restarted. So they'll probably just need an extra little injection, depending on what vaccination brand we use anywhere between two to four weeks after the first one. And then they'll be back up to date. It's very much like when they were a pup and they needed a course of primary vaccinations. So two vaccinations in sequence, essentially, if they've had lapsed vaccinations, so had a year without vaccination, we just pretend they're a pup and restart them again. So there's no problem I think you're you're doing exactly the right thing restarting have a chat with your vet and I'm sure they'll get you sorted and Mike in Knocknagree he has three family collie dogs the father is 16 years old and is very healthy and the he and she are seven years old again very healthy also I worm dosed them three times a year is there anything else they need done also I gave them multi injections two years ago okay so certainly for it goes for any dog really out there they do certainly need an annual vaccination once a year and that prevents most of let's say the the potentially fatal infectious diseases that we can potentially vaccinate for so I suppose the biggies around here would always be parvo but particularly leptospirosis because I know certainly as a practice we see waves of loads of dogs becoming affected and it breaks my heart because it's something very preventable so make sure they get their vaccination every year and while they're there they'll probably get a health check health checks are really really important just to nip early problems in the bud and a lot of the time it's let's say avoiding problems later So whether it be dental disease, we can tackle that earlier on and the earlier the better. Or whether it be, let's say, a a problem of old age. Sometimes if we catch things earlier, we can manage them a lot better. Um, So there's no point in putting off the health check. So normally they will be done at least once a year with the vaccination. I think you're doing a good job with the worming. I think potentially a little bit more frequent is is suitable for most dogs. Now, it really depends on your individual circumstance and their risk. But let's say an average dog that's going out for their walks and pottering around the house and has access to the outdoors, I would normally say for most for most dogs every three months will be adequate so quarterly um, and normally you would need to do them for let's say fleas mites lice as a preventative so it's much easier to solve the to prevent these problems rather than solve them because you're opening a can of worms trying to get rid of fleas in a household particularly if you have multiple animals like this gentleman has so I would say a flea preventative speak to your vet there's a number of options sometimes you can use a little spot on treatment normally they're monthly or sometimes there's tablets that are every three months but I think the main thing I would say with the preventative treatments is speak to your vet they'll be able to guide you both as to their level of risk and how frequently they should be done but mainly they'll be able to guide you as to what products will actually work because there's a lot on the market (laughs) that are maybe a little bit more dubious All right, okay and very finally uh, briefly on this one I have two Rottweilers a mum and a son the mother is neutered but the son won't stop hopping his mother do I have to get him neutered? I don't Uh, know what age the son is now Okay, I would say yes I would advise that now the one thing I would say is the, make sure 100% that the mum is neutered. So I would have a, have a think back. Make sure she is neutered. Double check with your vet on their records if you can. Just make sure that she's, let's say, not coming into heat. And that's not what's, let's say, causing the excitement. Making the excitement, yeah. I would say... In any case, unless you're intending to breed from the sun, I would definitely recommend castration for a number of reasons, both behavioural at points, but also health. 
um, it reduces their risk of testicular cancer, prostate cancer later in life. Um, it's a really good thing to do. Sometimes what I would say, however, is some of these, let's say, hopping on, humping behaviours, chasing the ladies, some of them are learned behaviours once they've developed. So there's no 100% guarantee that castration will, let's say, get It'll rid work. of those behaviours. Okay. okay, Jim, well, thank you for that. Yeah. And best of luck to that particular dog owner there with the mother <laughs> and son. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, Jane. That's okay. a Jane Pickett there of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's it. We're back again tomorrow morning from 10am with Cork Today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced and tomorrow on the show we will be discussing how all of us could be working a four day a week. Would you do it? We'll be discussing that option and the Agricultural Minister Michael Creed will join us on the show. For those of you in Ballydesmond we're led to believe water tankers will be uh, going to Ballydesmond this afternoon. Until then enjoy your Thursday afternoon. I'm John Paul McNamara. 